Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. What have scholars said about the Book of Abraham? Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Today we wrap up our look at an article that was in the January 2022 edition of the Leahona magazine titled, The Book of Abraham, A Most Remarkable Gift for Our Time. This was an article written by Professor Emeritus of Ancient Scripture, Brigham Young University, Andrew C. Skinner. Today we want to look at some of the comments that have been made about the Book of Abraham. And one of the comments that really just makes me roll my eyes is a comment that was made by Mormon apologist Hugh Nibley. He was also a BYU professor. And he wrote a book titled Abraham in Egypt. And this is what he says on page one. To date, not a critic has laid a finger on the book of Abraham. Instead, they have all sought to discredit it by indirection, dwelling exclusively on the method and person by which they assume it was produced. I don't agree with Nibley on that. I think he's misleading when he says that. In fact, there's been a lot of fingers laid against the book of Abraham, as well as a lot of punches made against what Joseph Smith claimed it to be. For instance, as early as 1856, we find that the book of Abraham was receiving criticism by people who were experts in the field of Egyptology. One of them was an Egyptologist by the name of Deveria. And he came across the Book of Abraham through the Pearl of Great Price that was printed in England. His conclusion was that Joseph Smith's explanation were, were nothing but rambling nonsense. Then later in 1912, we find that a Reverend Franklin S. Spaulding, who was the Episcopal Bishop of Utah, gave the three facsimiles that are found in the Book of Abraham to some of the world's leading scholars, and that eight of these Egyptologists who responded, they all gave a unanimous conclusion regarding what Joseph Smith said. They said that Joseph Smith's interpretation of these cuts is a farrago of nonsense from beginning to end. And this is recorded on page 28 of the book by his own hand upon papyrus, written by Charles M. Larson. And I want to stress, if you're interested in this topic, this would probably be a good book to start with. Stephen Thompson, whom we're going to quote, recommends that people wanting to know more about this subject read Charles Larson's book. But based on what Nibley said, why would it be so important for Nibley to promote this idea that none of the criticisms really are worth listening to? I think the answer is given by B.H. Roberts, who was a 70 in the church and is the one who put together the comprehensive history of the church. And this quote can be found in volume two, page 138. For if Joseph Smith's translation of the Egyptian parchment could be proven discredited and proven false, then doubt would be thrown also upon the genuineness of his translation of the Book of Mormon, and thus all his pretensions as a translator would be exposed and come to naught. I would say B.H. Roberts is exactly right, and the reason why I would say that is because I have 
actually talked with individuals who were once faithful to Joseph Smith, once faithful to what they understood the restored gospel to be, who because of the book of Abraham lost all faith in all those areas. And what happens is, is once they see that Joseph Smith's book of Abraham is fraudulent, that it's not what they were led to believe, it naturally raises the question, well, if he's lying here, what about the Book of Mormon? And then when you start looking more closely into how the Book of Mormon came about, and of course, years ago, that meant you finally came to the realization that Smith really wasn't translating the Reformed Egyptian characters on gold plates. He was rather looking at a rock in a hat. Now, that was something that a lot of Latter-day Saints didn't really even believe a couple of decades ago. But since the church came out with its Gospel Topics essay on the translation of the Book of Mormon, they have officially admitted that's how Joseph Smith produces the Book of Mormon. Well, when you were told all along that he was translating Reformed Egyptian into English, and now you're told he's really reading characters off a rock, you can wonder why that would then make you believe that Joseph Smith could not possibly have been the prophet that you were led to believe in the first place. Then we also have a statement that was made by two Mormon historians, James B. Allen and Glenn M. Leonard, and this is found in the 1992 edition of The Story of the Latter-day Saints, page 77. Speculation nevertheless persisted as to the process Joseph Smith may have used in translating the book, including the possibility that even if the papyri were not contemporary with Abraham, they contained material that— under inspiration, turned Joseph's mind back to ancient Egypt and opened it to direct revelation on the experiences of Abraham. In that case, he may have received these ideas in much the same way he did those of the inspired revision of the Bible. In that instance, acting without original documents, the prophet's only claim was that by divine inspiration he was able to replace incorrect with correct ideas and restore the original biblical meaning. I like how they bring up the Joseph Smith translation because Allen and Leonard are absolutely correct. He had no ancient text to support the alterations that he makes in his version of the Bible. And again, we should state that he himself claimed he finished that translation in July of 1833. He can merely say whatever he wants, and if you're already faithful to Joseph Smith's alleged calling to be a prophet of God, naturally you're going to embrace just about anything that he says. But it's interesting that these two authors say that speculation nevertheless persisted as to the process Joseph may have used in translating the book, including the possibility that even if the papyra were not contemporary with Abraham, they contained material that under inspiration turned Joseph Smith's mind back to ancient Egypt. The reason why that becomes a problem is because in the history of the church, it actually says in volume 2, page 235-236, a translation of some ancient records that have fallen into our hands from the catacombs of Egypt, the writings of Abraham while he was in Egypt, called the book of Abraham, written by his own hand upon papyrus. They know that this does not go back to Abraham, and as we've explained here, 
this particular papyri that Joseph Smith had can be traced back to maybe 50 BC, maybe 50 AD, but certainly not back to the time of Abraham. So Abraham could not have had anything to do with what Joseph Smith claims is in the book of Abraham. Bill, there's a citation in the Encyclopedia of Mormonism, volume one, pages 136 and 137, and it says this, moreover, the prophet's explanation of each of the facsimiles accord with the present understanding of Egyptian religious practices. Now that is cited by Dr. Stephen Thompson in Dialogue, A Journal of Mormon Thought, volume 28, number one, page 143, and this is what he writes. In the entry on the facsimiles from the Book of Abraham and the Encyclopedia of Mormonism, we are told that the prophet's explanations of each of the facsimiles accord with present understanding of Egyptian religious practice. This is a truly remarkable statement in view of the fact that those Egyptologists who have commented on Joseph's interpretations of the facsimiles have stated emphatically that his interpretations are not correct from the perspective of the Egyptologists who attempt to interpret Egyptian religious literature and iconography as he or she believes the ancient Egyptians themselves would have. Are we to believe that they're trying to tell us that the ancient Egyptians really believed what's in the book of Abraham? That is so far-fetched. Christians don't even believe a lot of what's in the book of Abraham as being the ancient practice of ancient Christians, you might say. Remember, in Mormonism, they believe that their church is a restoration of what ancient Christians believed and practiced. We don't find any evidence of ancient Christians believing what's in the book of Abraham. It, this, again, is all made up by Joseph Smith. And this is what is so tragic about this, because the LDS people are really not encouraged to dig any deeper into this subject than what their church tells them. I'm sure most Latter-day Saints, if they're living in the United States or Canada, and they have this insert, this particular insert that includes this article by Andrew Skinner, are not going to go any deeper than what Skinner is telling them in this article. I would venture to say that many of them, even listening to our voice, are probably not going to take the time to even look up where this article came from. And that would be from the March 1997 Ensign magazine that included much more than what this article includes. Bill, I want to give you another citation from a church manual, the Pearl of Great Price Teacher Manual, Religion 327. This was printed in 2000 on page 35. It says, write a simple sentence on the board and ask for a volunteer to translate it in any foreign language. Then ask for a volunteer to translate a more difficult sentence, such as Abraham 1-2. Discuss some of the challenges involved in translating writings from one language to another. Invite students to look at Abraham facsimile 1 and translate it into a storyline without looking at the explanation below it. Discuss how one might try to translate drawings such as the Egyptian hieroglyphics of the Book of Abraham. Read and discuss the material under How Did the Prophet Translate the Ancient Writings in the Student Manual? Testify of the inspired work of the Prophet Joseph Smith. The irony in that statement, Eric, is when it talks about looking at facsimile 1 and then reading the description regarding facsimile 1. If you read the description of facsimile 1, and this is the one where he has that individual with a human head and a knife hovering over what is alleged to be Abraham on this lion-headed couch, 
you would be wrong in thinking that that was a correct understanding of facsimile one. So yes, it is difficult to translate from one language into another, especially if you're a student who has no expertise in those languages. But I don't think it would be quite that difficult if you do have expertise in ancient languages. We've mentioned Dr. Robert Rittner, who is from the University of Chicago. I would think that he would probably not have a, a huge difficulty at all in trying to understand some of these things. In fact, he gives us the impression that he knows exactly what they're saying. Bill, there is in the conclusion of the Gospel Topics essay that we've mentioned throughout this week called Translation and History of the Book of Abraham. I want to read the conclusion, and I would like you to tell us what your final thoughts are. This is what it says in the conclusion. The veracity and value of the Book of Abraham cannot be settled by scholarly debate concerning the book's translation and historicity. The book status as scripture lies in the eternal truths it teaches and the powerful spirit it conveys. The book of Abraham imparts profound truths about the nature of God, his relationship to us as his children, and the purpose of this mortal life. The truth of the book of Abraham is ultimately found through careful study of its teachings, sincere prayer, and the confirmation of the Spirit. I think the main phrase in that is when it talks about profound truth. The only way it can be profound truth if what it says conforms to reality. But the only reality that it seems to conform to is the mind of Joseph Smith. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.